1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant's Flagship Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Dooley, and with me as always, he is the Michael Sarah to my Jonah Hill, the one, the only Chuck Holmes, Chuck, happy Tuesday. Hopefully you are well rested after the first full extended weekend of football, both college and pro. How are we living over there, how light, we're heavy are the pockets, because I know you went hard in the paint with this past
2: weekend's full football slate. My pockets are very heavy, maybe the heaviest they've ever been, which means this next weekend <laughs> might I might be getting divorced because there's just no way I win a single bet this weekend. I mean, I'm going 0 for 38. I just know it. It's, it's coming. I know I suck at this. So for me to be up is a bad thing in the grand scheme of my my happiness.
0: That
1: seems about right.
2: You know, I I hit a five
1: leg anytime touchdown score in the NFL, and I know that like you, it can only go downhill. Like, you know, I, I can hit a minus hundred or a pick 'em. For a bigger sum of money, but I'm not going to hit better odds. I'm not going to hit a better bet this season, but it's good to celebrate week one, I guess that way, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to do this thing, let's do it right. If we're going to watch both, both college and pro. So it was a good weekend. Chuck and I are recording this on Tuesday evening. We wanted to make sure that we had the opportunity to discuss Ryan Day's weekly presser which we will get to. And we will obviously preview Ohio State's matchup with Western Kentucky this weekend. But first, man, how about Aaron Rodgers? <laughs> Chuck the story oh. that his oh. Yeah, the story that has dominated pretty much the entire sports-related news cycle since last night. Future Hall of Famer and former Packer Aaron Rodgers, you know, one of the most well known, sort of out there in the news athletes there is, signs with the New York Jets after 17 seasons in Green Bay, is the star of HBO's Hard Knock. The hype is just through the freaking roof. And on his fourth official play as a Jet, I shouldn't laugh. And I'm, I'm not even a huge Rodgers guy, it sucks, but it's just, to it's think about it, I get a chuckle out of it, his fourth official play as a Jet, he blows out his Achilles, he's out for the season, and at 39 years old, who knows what the recovery, the road to recovery looks like, he may never play again, I don't know, but Chuck... Last night, because I know you were sort of watching or at least paying attention, did you think that we actually like found out in real time that we were living in a simulation? Because the story, the Aaron Rodgers Achilles story, is just, it's too, it's almost too surreal.
2: You know, if you believe in karma, and I think even this would be too much for those people that believe he kind of, uh, uh, was a jackass on his way out of New England or out of Green Bay and and kind of uh, they were like a scorned lover. He was with his new girlfriend and they were talking <laughs> about how great it was. I think even those people that are like super karmic energy type people would say, damn, like I, I can't fathom this being the end result of this season. They want it. Uh, I'd like him to throw a few more picks this year. Uh, the Jets to maybe go 500 this year. I don't think anybody was thinking, boy, I hope he four snaps into his season, uh, maybe ends his career. I don't think it ends his career in the sense that he, he he's going to play because he's going to want to prove next year. But I think the chances of him coming back and being anywhere close to pro bowl, all pro level at that age is, it's, it's, unfortunately probably over for him
1: yeah i mean i don't know that he does come back i think he'd like to i think his pride you know and everything would encourage him to do so but if he can't play at an acceptable level then he may not want to come back and when i think about aaron Rodgers, he's not josh allen right well good or bad but um You know he's not in air quotes running quarterback, but he's mobile enough, Uh, especially earlier in his career. You know he'd get you maybe two, three rushing touchdowns a year. At thirty nine years old, coming off of an Achilles like that, he may be a statue back there. And I know he's uh, a really intelligent football player, and he studies the game, and this, that, and the other, and if you want to comp him to Tom Brady, Tom Brady was a statue for the last handful of years of his career, but there is something, at least a small part of Aaron Rodgers' game is predicated on him being able to move around a little bit, and we'll see, but can you remember Any other injuries like this that completely ruined a season or put an end to so much hype immediately? Obviously, there have been a million catastrophic injuries and things like this happen. But I mean, come on, four snaps into a season. Can you think of any comps?
2: So there's a couple. And before I get into that, I do want to throw out there. I may have bet on his under yardage total yesterday, <laughs> and I, I just thought he wasn't going to get to 234. I didn't think he was going to be zero. That's not what I was thinking. I thought they were going to run the ball, so it's not my fault. Um, there's a couple that feel that way as a as a Bengals fan and as an old guy. Uh, I remember when they traded up to draft uh, Kajana Carter number one, and first I think first series of his first preseason game his knee gets or his cleat gets caught in the astroturf blows his knee out he's never the player that they thought he was going to be he was an okay pro and he played for six or eight years but he was never the best player in a draft and it who's to say the Bengals franchise was such a disaster back then maybe it wouldn't have mattered, but man Having somebody back there that runs for 1,300, 1,400 yards a year with what they were building might have given some of those guys a chance to actually become productive players. So that one came to mind. Um, One on the opposite way, same kind of concept happened to Trent Green, but it was a preseason when he was with the Rams, and it actually – flipped their season because then it gave the starting job to Kurt Warner and the greatest show on turf was created because of a devastating injury that they thought Trent Green was going to be the guy that could do this for him.
1: It's funny you bring that one up because the Rams go and get Kurt Warner who was bagging groceries. The Jets have Zach Wilson who should be bagging groceries. So very... Very similar situations. Yeah, yeah, Six of one, half dozen of the dollar. So the ones that I thought of, I thought of, and this is recent, and this player was not on the same level in his sport, but Gordon Hayward a couple of years back signed as a free agent with the Celtics. Like I said, not on the same level, but he was an all-star, and they thought that he was going to be the missing piece and first game of the season just, like, snaps his ankle. It's a gruesome, gruesome-looking injury. Now, he has come back and probably been 80 to 90% of what he was, but it never happened with the Celtics. I mean, they sort of destroyed uh, their cap for a bit. Sticking with basketball, Blake Griffin, final preseason game. He was the number one pick in the draft, and he, you know, tore his ACL, Again, similar to the Bengals, the Clippers maybe weren't on that same trajectory as like people thought that the Jets were. And I was trying to think of like one of one of our teams because we we spoke earlier. You stole Kajana. I know it wasn't the beginning of that. this, so it, maybe we're on the same one. It it wasn't the beginning of the season, but Carson Palmer. You know the Bengals hadn't been to the playoffs oh, in God. forever. Hadn't been there forever. And they may have been the favorite. Like, the the Bengals were some dogs that year. And very early on, Kimo Von Olhoffen tears, uh, you know, I don't even remember what the injury was, obliterates Carson Palmer's leg. And what's funny about Palmer, too, uh, I want you to get to yours, but I saw online today that he had that one. And then Steve Keim was with the Cardinals, They signed Carson Palmer to an extension or something at the time, and he tore his ACL again three days after he signed an extension. So unfortunate for Carson Palmer, such a swell, swell guy, said all the right things uh, as as the door hit him on his ass on the way out of Cincinnati. But Chuck, what was the one that came to mind for you again?
2: My last one, and this is more along the lines of like the hype and, and being a chance to go win. When Kenyon Martin broke his leg for the UC Bearcats in the conference tournament, they were going to be the number one overall seed, and the uh, they were the preemptive favorite to win the to win the Big Dance and go through March Madness. And they ended up losing in the second round because he broke his leg against St. Louis in a random uh, quarterfinal conference USA game. That in reality he should have been sitting his butt on the bench, and who cared? But I mean, they were by far the favorite. Like They might have been a negative, a a minus money favorite. They were such a dominant team that year, and they ended up not doing jack squat because of a fluke just like this one. Yeah,
1: I mean, player of the year or whatever he was that year, I remember that one a little bit. The the last one before we move on, just because, again, legendary quarterback – It's different, though. I mean, Tom Brady, when he tore his ACL, right, they were sort of in the midst of their run there in New England. But that's what makes the Rodgers thing so, so different is New England was in the middle of their run. The, The Bengals weren't a contender with Kajana Carter. The Clippers weren't a contender with Blake Griffin. The Jets hadn't really been a contender or haven't so much recently went all in and yeah, man, like four plays, and I was watching it, Chuck. I don't know if you were like watching it live. You could tell right away he knew it. Like the the despondent look on Rogers' face, like he knew something was very, very wrong, and he didn't have to be screaming out in pain or anything like that. It was similar to J.K. Dobbins, same injury, and. Gosh, J.K. Dobbins, I was watching that game too, sort of had that that old shit look in his eyes, like, oh man, like that I know what happened. Something very bad happened. So a total bummer. Like I said, I'm not a huge Rogers guy. I find him entertaining at times. I find him very pompous at others, but you never wish that upon anyone. And it's a bummer for the Jets. Just like I said, that has dominated the news cycle for the last 12, 14, 18 hours, whatever it is. But Chuck, let's bring it a little bit closer to home. Let's transition to Ohio State and football and Ryan Day's weekly presser. Ryan Day had his typical Tuesday press conference with the media and really no major announcements were made or I guess I should say that no surprising announcements were made. If you were listening to this, you likely already know that Kyle McCord was officially named the Buckeyes starting QB today. Made all the sense in the world. Probably could have been made official a little bit earlier based on what we've seen through two games at least. But let's just start there, Chuck. We talked about this Sunday. I think we both thought that this was coming, uh, any surprise whatsoever? Or would you have been shocked if it was anything other than this and the timing of this?
0: No,
2: I think it's it was time, and I understand why. I mean, you look at week one, you understand why he didn't get it before this. But with week two, the, the vast difference between the two performances and understanding that, it's just not there yet for Devin Brown. Just watching, it, it was time. And, and go ahead and give him the the uh, the confidence or the he could relax or whatever you you think he needs to uh, take this job and run with it. Give him that and give the other part. Give him all the reps. Like it, now, all the one team first team reps need to go to Kyle McCord, and then let's see what he can do. This week, because this week is a test, but next week is the final exam for the first third of the season that if you don't pass Notre Dame, the pressure's on the rest of the year. Whereas if you beat Notre Dame, you got a little bit of breathing room for the rest of the season.
1: Notre Dame is the final exam of the first quarter or the first semester because with the Ohio State schedule, they have a lot of final exams. But yeah, you're exactly right. Kyle should, in theory, get up to 60 minutes in control. And honestly, hopefully it's not a full 60. Because if he goes out there and he plays really well through three quarters or something like that, then maybe they have the opportunity to pull him early. But this was, yeah, widely expected. No surprise whatsoever. And I guess, you know, I don't know if it's worth debating if this announcement or this could have happened earlier. I've said over the past month or whatever that Ryan Day has earned the benefit of the doubt. And so he really wanted, he was, he wanted to give Devin Brown that opportunity clearly because he saw something and he was strong in his conviction. And so I'm not going to say that this was right, wrong, or indifferent, but making it official now was absolutely the right move and the right direction to go for Ohio State and their football team. Other topics that came up during the presser included offensive line play, third down, and the OSU pass rush. Again, nothing surprising because these three or four topics have been on the minds of just about anyone who watches Ohio State. Ryan Day essentially said that the O-line is making progress but has work to do. Again, the no-shit Sherlock comment of the week. That's a strong nominee. He said that the Buckeyes need to get better on third down. That's a second nominee. Like he, He's giving us the hits or he's playing the hits that we all know about. And he also said that he believes that the Ohio State pass rush will get better with time and opportunity. Chuck, you and I may be a bit dubious of that, but this will be the week. If it's going to happen, it's likely to begin happening this week. We'll get to that part. Chuck, what stood out to you today? Did they say or not say anything that caught your attention? And I guess same goes for Jim Knowles, or was this just run-of-the-mill presser in line
2: exactly with
1: what you expected?
2: It was pretty much what I expected. I think what this kind of shows is that we know what we're talking about. And uh, there is uh, no word yet on whether we can be like a a communications director role for Ryan Day and can kind of go up there and and take questions for him. Since we're obviously on the same wavelength with him on what we're seeing when we watch the film. I don't know if, what that'll do for like my AD role. I don't know if I'll be able to do both. So this <laughs> Conflict might of a interest. You picture. can't do both. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be busy with the baseball team. You know, maybe, <laughs> make, it, make it baseball great again. But nothing, nothing that you didn't expect or hope to hear. You would hope to hear that he's concerned about third down. You would hope to hear that the offensive line needs to get better. You would hope to hear that uh, the... Pass Rush is going to hopefully come across uh, or going to get some opportunities here soon. So I agree with you. This is um, nothing we didn't expect. Now let's just hope that we're not still talking about it next week in the next press conference. Like, Let's hope one or two of these things show some improvement so that they can start talking about something else.
1: The only thing that sort of... I don't want to say it rubbed me the wrong way. I don't want to say that it was concerning, because I don't believe that Ryan Day and or Jim Knowles is the kind of guy, or the kind of coach that's going to go and blast their players in any sort of uh, format. Right? I don't. I think that these guys are good coaches. They're good dudes, whatnot, but. When they were talking about the pass rush, it was more like, oh, they, you know, we just haven't had the opportunity. Teams have been getting rid of the ball quickly. And as far as the Indiana game goes, like yeah, absolutely. And coincidentally, JT Tuimolo still played well in that game. But Youngstown State gave Ohio State some chances. And even if they're getting rid of the ball quickly, JT Molo out and Jack Sawyer and whoever else is in there, if they're projected first-round picks, second-round picks, preseason All-Americans, whatever, to quote Gronk, they should be throwing guys out of the club. You know what I mean? And we didn't see that. So I was sort of hoping to hear a little more criticism, but like more fire. <clears throat> Excuse me and say like, hey, these guys need to get better, they they need to play better, they need to win some one-on-one matchups, we need to improve there. They sort of passed it off a little too much in my opinion, but I don't want to read too much into that. Like I said, Ryan Day, Jim Knowles, not the kind of guys, in my opinion, that are going to blast their players to the media, and that's, that's most coaches. Any coach sort of worth their weight, worth their salary, whatever, is not going to do that, so... Pretty boring presser as far as Chuck and I are both concerned. But that means that I think it's a good time for us to switch gears and now talk about this Western Kentucky game and this weekend's matchup. So Chuck, let's go ahead and you're agreeing with me. I can see you over there. Let's go ahead and take a break. We will come back and we will talk about Ohio State, Western Kentucky and the Buckeyes versus the Hilltoppers. Welcome back everybody to Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. For Chuck Holmes, I am Josh Dooley, and we are gonna start breaking down Western Kentucky and Ohio State. But um, you know, these teams will be playing Saturday, week three, little bit of background, little bit of data to sort of base our opinions on and talk about here. Let's just dive in here on Western Kentucky, Chuck. This is a team coached by Ty Helton since 2019. They have won nine games in three out of four seasons under Helton, who spent time at USC and Tennessee prior to landing his current gig. Uh, Partner, in my opinion, this could be a wild, wild game. And frankly, I would not be shocked if the Hilltoppers made it uncomfortable at Saturday, Because you just can't, and you never really attempt to, prepare for what Western Kentucky does on offense. I mean, sure, th- these Ohio State coaches, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, have likely seen it all at some point, right? But how often has Tim Walton prepared his DBs for a team that goes five wide and throws the ball 60 times? How often has Larry Johnson prepared his defensive line to do the same thing? E- even taking a step further, linebackers. We love Tommy Eichenberg on this show, right? He's not, what, like Devin White, Fred Warner in coverage. I'm trying to think of those elite, elite athletes against a spread-em-out, spread em throw-it team. I guess you could sit back and say, well, Jim Knowles came from the Big 12, which is not an apples-to-apples comparison when we're talking about Western Kentucky, but he went up against some teams that really like to throw it around. And Ohio State has faced a team like Purdue with regularity, but the Hilltoppers of Western Kentucky, they take the air raid to another level. Would you agree, Chuck?
2: They do, and they also uh, take the... Uh, I guess you could call it the anti-air raid concepts on defense because they're going to give the offense just as many opportunities to put up some yards and score some points because even though they're 2-0, and when you're giving up 22 points to Houston Christian – um, I, I didn't even know Houston Christian was a uni- or was a college that that had a football team. Chuck, I uh, think I they're
1: think, lo- I think they're looking to join the new Pac-12. Actually, <laughs>
2: well, <laughs> because there's only there's only ten teams left in football that aren't in a conference. So yeah, and that's the and be, that's
1: the that's the only way they would get in.
2: But I it, they scare you in that they can just go up and down, but they don't scare you in that. Boy, Kyle McCord and and, and crew better be able to do the exact same thing, so they may give up some points, but if this isn't a 40, 50, 60-point outburst by the offense, I think that would be a bigger issue than the defense giving up 21 or 24 28 points.
1: I think I'm with you on that. Again, who knows how many possessions are going to happen in this game. People who listen to this pod might be sick of me talking about that, but realistically, if both teams are scoring with some sort of regularity, then maybe it's 42-21, something like that, which is not a huge outburst. But as we shift our focus to the players for Western Kentucky and and sort of their scheme, their style, obviously they are known for their air raid style offense, which has put up some truly crazy stats under Jeff Brom in the past and now Helton. It wasn't always this way. They sort of took a dip for a bit before Helton got the gig, but this program has also produced a few NFL quarterbacks. Like It's not just some novelty act. And look, they've posted back-to-back nine nine, nine and five seasons as part of the Conference USA. So I would call the Hilltoppers a very solid non-Power 5 team. In recent seasons, they have faced Michigan State and Indiana twice and given both a serious run for their money. Western Kentucky was actually up throughout their game against IU last season, and the Hoosiers needed 17 in the fourth quarter just to send it to overtime where you know Tom Allen and company eventually won. So, I don't know. Is it fair to at least call them a decent non-Power 5 team? This isn't a rollover team, right? Like, oh, I... They're probably going to give Ohio State some fits somewhere sometime throughout this game.
2: They are, and really, I, I'm guessing where Ohio State can really um, push the issue with them is in is in the trenches, right? You're just going to be bigger and stronger on the offense and defensive lines. When you're facing Conference USA teams, when you're facing Sunbelt teams, when you're facing good teams at the group of five level, generally that's where you can really push your emphasis on them. And that to me, is where it does get a little hairy because those are two places that we feel like Ohio State is not living up to their potential. So if they don't take that step that we hope they take, this could be a way more interesting game for way longer than we think. If the offensive line comes to play like we think they should be able to, um, and if the defensive line comes and and the 17 first-round picks that we think are on this this defensive line, play like first-round picks, then it could get out of hand quick because uh, you could end up with a scenario where uh, the Austin Reed is on the field and he's seeing ghosts because he's getting put on his butt every other snap because he's never dealt with four guys across the line or hasn't dealt with it a lot that are 270 and above.
1: You certainly hope that's the case. It should have been the case last weekend, right? And they couldn't push around Youngstown State, at least to the extent that we thought they would or hoped that they would. Looking at this Western Kentucky personnel, they are led by quarterback Austin Reed, who Chuck just mentioned. They are averaging 46.5 points per game through the first two weeks of the season on offense. What's funny is Reed's numbers are, are sort of down to begin the season, relatively speaking. He has only thrown, and I'm I'm doing the air quotes here, thrown for five hundred and eighty-nine yards through two games. Sounds good. It's not necessarily what Western Kentucky's going for. But he has thrown six touchdowns to zero interceptions, and he's coming off a game against Houston Baptist in which he completed 82% of his passes for four touchdowns. He was also rushed for two touchdowns in two games, although he probably is not going to be confused with Justin Fields or Josh Allen anytime soon as a runner. Reed began his college career at Southern Illinois. After sitting as a freshman, he then transferred to West Florida Like Houston Baptist, wasn't aware that West Florida was a thing. I thought it was a region. But he won a D2 national championship in 2019. He's well-traveled with considerable experience. And he has thrown the ball a ton wherever he has been. On the outside, or as far as skill positions are concerned, Easton Messer currently leads Western Kentucky in both receptions and receiving yards with 11 and 134 respectively. Not huge stats, but those are not indicative of what this team likes to do. They really like to spread the ball out. Seven different receivers have a touchdown through two games. And the team should also have Malachi Corley on Saturday And that is the bigger story here. Corley recorded 73 catches as a redshirt freshman in 2021 before breaking out with 101 catches last season. He also totaled 1,295 yards and 12 touchdowns. He, gosh, he was on the Blitnikoff watch list. He earned first-team All-Conference USA. And really, he entered 2023 as one of the most dynamic skill guys in the country. And I don't know how many people have seen him, seen some of his tape, but Corley got banged up week one, missed week two. He's expected to be back. And Chuck, I don't know if you've seen him. I started doing a little bit of homework like yesterday and today. Corley, like that dude is a menace. He has been comped to Debo Samuel. I saw him like PFF or something. And you can go find some quotes online too. My man is Confident and he's looking forward to playing in the shoe so he can sort of be mentioned maybe in the same breath as a Marvin Harrison Jr. or a Mecca Ibuka. So talk to me a little bit about the the passing game and the components of it for Western Kentucky.
2: Corley's the kind of guy that you see it every year with college football that goes into a bigger school and goes 14 for 260 and two touchdowns and win or lose. You don't even know like nobody remembers if they win or lose, but they they show his highlights all year because he is such a uh, disruptive force on the football field. And he's going to play on Sundays and he's probably going to play a lot on Sundays and he scares the absolute uh, bejesus out of you. What. Helps that, though, is boy, the cornerbacks for Ohio State sure have played well. And I hope he lines up against uh, Davidson and he's just as physical as he's been this whole time. I know he runs in the slot a lot. I'm guessing he hasn't seen anybody like Sonny Styles lining up against him in the slot previously. So, you know, you figure if you can get your hands on him, you can probably disrupt that a little bit. And if you disrupt it and the defensive ends come to play, all of a sudden now – now you're cooking, even though um, every time he goes out for a pass, you're going to be worried.
1: It's a really good point. <clears throat> you figure in Conference USA, when he's in the slot, he's seeing a lot of slot corners, nickel corners. I don't think he's seeing a lot of, like you said, the Sonny Styles, Davis, Enigma, types. He's not the biggest dude in the world, but he will truck somebody. So at the very least, I think that that's going to be – Interesting to see what they do to try to contain Corley because, you know, he's 5'11. He looks very fast. I don't know what he's timed at. But from what I saw, yeah, he's not your Marvin Harrison Jr. type downfield, catching a lot of deep shots, making contested catches, 50 50 balls, things like that. They get him in space and let him work. And he works real good. You know what I mean? But yeah, hopefully Igminosaun, Sonny Styles, Jordan Hancock even are able to sort of neutralize that with a bit of their size and their physicality, provided they're coached up and put in the right places to do so. Western Kentucky, you know, they also they have struck a balance with the running game just a little bit in 2023. Davion Irvin Poindexter, formerly of Indiana, and Marquis Stepp, which it's funny, you know, I, I remember this guy's name, formerly of USC and Nebraska, because we know how it goes, Chuck. Every player is on their third school by now. Both of those guys have roughly 70 yards rushing this season. Not huge numbers, but enough to keep you honest. As I mentioned earlier, Reed has also contributed to the running game with his two rushing touchdowns. So, Look, Western Kentucky is going to spread it out, get rid of the ball quickly, sprinkle in some of the run game, and hope that their guys can find space and make some plays. And they've shown that they can do it. So, Ohio State's defense better be mentally and physically ready for a track meet when they are on the field because, regardless of how successful the Hilltoppers are on a play-by-play basis they are going to make the Buckeyes run and run and run and run and they need to be prepared for that
2: looking at their run defense though I think part of the reason that their running backs are doing so well is their confidence level is sky high going up against this Hilltopper defense because they've given up 500 yards rushing these first two weeks so I'm (laughs) hoping that that gives them I hope that gives Ohio State the opportunity to exploit that as well. I would like to see them and, you know, getting this offense, quote unquote, on track doesn't require them to throw it 60 times with Kyle McCord. If you establish a really good running game and give him some opportunities because guys have scooted up a little bit, that's just as good. Right. And that's something that you're going to have to be able to do against Notre Dame anyway. You're not going to be able to go into Notre Dame and throw it 50 times and win the game. You're going to have to be a little bit balanced. So if they can show some of that because they're popping six, seven, eight yards of carry against these guys and actually commit to giving somebody 12 to 15 carries, it doesn't have to be 25. But it'd be nice to see uh, 32 have 12 carries for uh, 110 yards and a couple of touchdowns to give Kyle McCord that opportunity to expand uh, his his radius of throws because the field's wide open.
1: Yeah, totally agree. So let's stick with the Western Kentucky defense because Chuck, I think you were trying to get me there. and It's poop. I'll follow. You know, I think it's probably a little tiny bit better than people think. I know... That when I hear air raid offense, I tend to think that absolutely no defense whatsoever is being played by their teammates on the other side. But, you know, you look back, they've allowed 23 points per game through their first two games. Not bad. They allowed 23.4 last year and 25 and a half ish in 2020. Now, 2021 was an outlier, but the thing about this team is. The, the, the effort's there, and they make plays, though. So Western Kentucky totaled 19 interceptions last year, and they already have three in 2023. And they've also forced and recovered three fumbles. So six takeaways through two games. If you can't do it with skill, size, whatever, try to be opportunistic. And so I think that Western Kentucky gets credit for that. Their defense is led by linebacker, Jaquez Evans, I hope I got that right. He was tabbed as the Conference USA Preseason Defensive Player of the Year. Last year, he totaled 106 tackles, 14 for loss, and 9 sacks. He has 11 tackles and a sack so far this season to go with one forced fumble and two fumble recoveries, one of which he returned for a touchdown. So a playmaker from that linebacker position. Another disruptive force for the Hilltoppers' defense has been Kendrick Simpkins. He is a defensive back who leads the team in sacks. Chuck, defensive back who leads the team in sacks. I wanna I don't know how often I'm That's gonna not get. A to, not <laughs> no, it's, a good sign.
2: good
1: It's probably not. But I wanted to make sure that I got that right. It basically means he's Ed Reed or or something to that ilk. Probably not in the same category. And. Defensive coordinator Tyson Summers, so they have Ty and Tyson on the coaching staff. He runs a 3-3-5 scheme, and I'm sure that these guys are going to try to turn the Buckeyes over because that's really your only shot, I think, of staying in this game if you're Western Kentucky and you still are facing a relatively inexperienced quarterback in Kyle McCord. So... I'm sort of with you in the sense that I don't know how much of a physical resistance they can put up, but if they know how to cause turnovers, then they can you know maybe sort of cause a little bit of chaos.
2: Let me put your mind at ease. So the teams that they scored or got all those turnovers from, they still averaged four hundred and fifty yards of offense uh, to to give you a little bit of background. Um, South Florida was 1-11 last year in the AAC. Hey, um, so
1: was Colorado, and they're the best team in college football. Maybe South Florida yeah, can turn it around.
2: They don't, they don't have Coach Prime. Houston Christian is, a, is an FCS school. They were 2-9 and nine in the FCS, and they put up 368 yards on the Hilltoppers. Uh, South Florida put up 374 yards of rushing against the Hilltoppers. So this defense is bad, bad, bad. And this this has to be the get-right week for this offense. And it doesn't have to be 100 points. It's got to be chunk plays. It's got to be seeing the stuff you haven't seen. Establish the run, get some chunk plays, manhandle their line on third downs, and do the stuff that they haven't done right up to this point, correctly for a week so that we have proof of concept going into Notre Dame.
1: That's fair, and that does make me feel a little bit better. Same as, you know, I looked back at when Western Kentucky played Indiana, and Indiana put up 30-plus each of the last two seasons. And, uh, I mean, we saw Indiana's offense this year. It wasn't much different last year or the year before even because I, I, I'm I, not sure if Pennix played against Western Kentucky or not. I'd have to go back and look at 2 years ago, but regardless, I I hear you. I get you. Probably not the 85 Bears coming into the shoe on Monday. So that's the personnel. I think what's interesting and what Chuck you really need to think about going into Saturday is the fact that Western Kentucky is 6-1 and 1 against the spread. The last eight times that they have been at least 27 point dogs. This, according to Cleveland.com. And OSU has not covered yet in 2023. So the real question, Chuck, because I, I, I don't think you believe Western Kentucky is a huge threat, is Ohio State going to cover against a team that is known for, for getting the back door? cover at the end you know what i mean against some of these bigger teams
2: as somebody who lost a couple dollars last week because i thought for sure they would be able to cover i i think this still might be one that's a struggle you know this offense for western kentucky could could give them tr- enough trouble that they can't cover 27 and a half 27 a halves a big number so i mean a f- 50 to 24 is not out of the realm of possibilities in my book, and that's a cover for the Hilltoppers. So this might be a stay away. As Buckeye fans, I cannot stress to you how unhappy it makes you to bet on them to not cover.
1: But I think I'm going to have to go with you. It it would be different if Corley was not on the field, and I maybe he won't be, but I don't know if it's confirmed. I know that Western Kentucky has at least like alluded to the fact or said, yeah, he's probably going to be out there. Maybe it was Corley himself. I don't recall where I read that. If he was out of the equation, I'd be like, you know what? I think Ohio State's going to do it this week, but Corley scares me, man. Like I, I heard his name last year. I knew of him, but I didn't really pay much attention. It's Western Kentucky, right? Like No offense, but I've watched... Uh, More than enough of his highlights this week to be like, man, he sort of does look like Debo Samuels out there. So my thought process, I think, is sort of in line with yours in that I I think Ohio State puts up a lot of points, but they will give up some. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they have a poor game. I go back to what I said earlier. like It's hard to prepare for this, and it's hard to stop a team if they get off. 45, 50, 60 passes, which is what Western Kentucky is probably going to try to do. What would be hilarious is if they were like, hey, we saw Indiana and Youngstown State keep it close. We're going to run, but I, I don't think they can do that if you paid them all the money in the world on top of what they're getting paid to come to Columbus. So you and I both think that Ohio State sort of gets back on track offensively but fails to cover Chuck, let's do it real quick. Unless you want to stick with fifty to twenty-four, I think is what you said. What is your score prediction for this weekend?
2: I'm gonna go f- forty-nine because I don't think they go for two at any point. Forty-nine, twenty-four. Buckeyes roll. Gosh.
1: All right, I'm just gonna do something different because I was gonna say forty-nine to twenty-eight. I'm gonna stick with forty-nine. I'll say the defense comes to play seventeen. That's three scoring possessions for Western Kentucky. I like it. Whereas you roughly have, what, like four or so? A little bit less because I'm going to choose to believe in the defense. And I, I think that's about it for the preview, Chuck. I don't want to diminish the team coming in. It's going to be interesting. But I can't let you get off of here. I'm sure that we have some Ohio pro football teams or fans listening, or teams of those fans of those teams. Goodness gracious, sorry. How do you feel about the Bengals? Real quick. We saw Joe Burrow come back from his uh, from his injury. Oh. Largest contract in NFL history. Stunk it up. They could only score three points against the Browns. What's your concern level before we jet out of here? Because Joe Burrow is a former Buckeye. We're going to stay topical a little bit.
2: I uh, You, you got to practice in the preseason. I know he was hurt this year. And he was coming off like. Every, every every preseason it's something and they started slow last year and had to dig themselves out of a hole. sure looks like they're gonna do the same this year. Uh, it was uh, it was vomit worthy to watch that game. and you, you there just there was never a point where you thought that they were, oh, here it is, now they're coming. Not a single drive did I feel like, okay, now we got something cooking and it was, it was vomit-worthy, and they better get their heads out of their butts because Baltimore's coming to town, and uh, this is a must-win, in my opinion, to win the division, uh, not to save the season. But if you want to be NFC North champs, you got to beat Baltimore this week.
1: I'm with you. I- I'm not worried about them at all yet. I'm going to attribute it to the weather. <sighs> Unfortunately, the Browns sort of have Burrow's number. Miles Garrett is an absolute beast, even though, you know, he plays for a team that I really, really dislike. And yeah, it's the lack of practice. It's the rust. You saw a lot of quarterbacks, frankly, in the NFL, just awful, awful numbers. You know, like I think at one point Baker and hopefully Joe Burrow never plays like Baker Mayfield, but At one point, Baker Mayfield was like three for 12, 30 yards late in the first half, early second, something like that. Um, Desmond Ritter passed for 115 yards. I think most of it was due to his running backs. One play to Kyle Pitts, didn't hit his main receiver. Like, And those are lesser guys, but quarterbacks all over struggle. I mean, look at Aaron Rodgers. He passed for zero yards. And that's going to do it! Too soon. <laughs> That is going to do it. Um, I hadn't been sitting on that one the entire episode, and I'm probably going to catch from fl- some flack from somebody, but it was just too easy. It was sitting there, and I'll see myself out. So that's going to be the end of the pod for Chuck and I, the end of this preview episode. We will be back with you sometime Sunday. I think we got a 4 o'clock kick, Chuck, so we'll probably do a, a Sunday morning Episode and feed the listeners uh, or give the listeners some feedback on what we hope is a pretty decisive Ohio State victory. So, for Chuck Holmes, I am Josh Dooley. We appreciate you all listening. Please like, rate, review, and subscribe to the pod. And until next time, as always, go Bucks.